Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up... Yes, it's going to be a busy election season. Now, voting rights advocates say bilingual services, well, they fall short for Gwinnett County's growing Asian-American communities. We'll check in with the policy director for Asian-Americans Advancing Justice. Also, later in the program, we'll talk about the revived cityhood movement in southern DeKalb County. But once again, it faces opposition. So we'll tell you why. All that's coming up. Community conversations you can count on. But first, this Georgia Governor Brian Kemp says he'll put his weight behind a push to do away with the need for Georgians requiring licenses to carry handguns in public. Kemp voiced his support for the so-called constitutional carry legislation at a press conference held earlier today. Building a safer, stronger Georgia starts with hardworking Georgians having the ability to protect themselves and their families. In the face of rising violent crime across the country, law-abiding citizens should have their constitutional rights protected, not undermined. I believe the United States Constitution grants the citizens of our state the right to carry a firearm without state government approval. Now, the move comes as Kemp faces an increasingly vigorous primary challenge from fellow Republican David Perdue in this year's gubernatorial race. Opponents have said such laws escalate the danger to law enforcement and the public. In other news, the head of Atlanta's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention continues to defend the agency's shorter COVID-19 isolation recommendations. Dr. Rochelle Walensky says testing still isn't required for people with COVID-19 to emerge from isolation after five days. If one is to take an extra step and perform a test at the end of their five-day isolation period, we wanted to make sure people understood how they should be interpreted. If that test is positive, people should stay home for those extra five days. Um, And if that test is negative, people really do need to understand that they must continue to wear their mask um, for those uh, extra five days. Now, last week, the CDC cut the isolation time in half for people with the coronavirus, but have no symptoms or only brief illnesses. It says isolation should only end if a person has been fever free for at least 24 hours without the use of medications and if other symptoms are resolving. Now, Walensky also says newly confirmed COVID-19 cases in the U.S. continue to surge nearly doubling in the last week. In related news, members of the Georgia National Guard are heading to hospitals and testing sites around the state to fight this latest surge. Governor Brian Kemp announced late Tuesday that nearly 100 personnel are heading to 16 Department of Public Health testing sites, mainly in metro Atlanta. 100 will go to hospital systems across the state in both urban and rural areas. 
And in more COVID-19 news, some of Georgia's largest school districts are set to resume in-person learning in the next couple of days. This comes as most metro counties are seeing a surge in COVID-19 cases. WABE's education reporter Martha Dalton has more. Cobb is scheduled to return today. Gwinnett will return tomorrow. Several other metro districts have decided to go virtual for the rest of the week, like Clayton County. Superintendent Morsees Beasley told his school board this week teachers have to produce a negative COVID test before they can return in person on Monday. Those who do not test will have to use their sick leave because those who refuse the test, that's like a positive result. Beasley said those teachers will have to quarantine for a minimum of five days or until they get tested. Districts that decided to go virtual, including Clayton, DeKalb, Fulton, and Atlanta Public Schools, are also figuring out logistics, like how to get laptops to students and meals to families. Most systems are offering free meals for pickup starting today. Martha Dalton, WABE News. And some breaking news within the hour. The founding mayor of Stonecrest has pled guilty to federal fraud charges just hours after stepping down from his post as the city's mayor. Now, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports Jason Larry agreed to the plea deal late earlier this morning. He'd been accused of defrauding businesses and churches out of more than $650,000 in federal COVID-19 relief. He previously pleaded not guilty. Now, Larry addressed the charges in an online press conference yesterday. I ask that you all measure me by the whole story. I did the best I could do with what we had in place. I'm forever grateful uh, for those residents who supported the vision uh, that was implanted in me by God, of course, for our city. Larry is the first mayor of Stonecrest, a city of about 55,000 people that was incorporated in 2017. And finally, a memorial service for the late U.S. Senator Johnny Isaacson will be held tomorrow right here in Atlanta. It will take place at 2 p.m. at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church and it will also be streamed online. A visitation will be held prior to the service. Isaacson died in late December at the age of 76. He's the only Georgian to hold seats in the State House and Senate and both chambers of the U.S. Congress. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at Richmond.edu. That's R I C H M O N T.edu. And you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Yes, 2022 is here, a major election year. And Georgia figures to play a role, as we've all been hearing, as a battleground state. But not just even when we talk about Senate seats and all of that, but just every seat is up for election, of course, in our state house and, of course, our House of Representatives. Now, there is some issue here because recently the U.S. Census Bureau released an updated list of regions throughout the country that are now covered under Section 203 of the Voting Rights Act, which authorizes language provisions. 
And we'll talk more about what it exactly says in a moment. Here in Georgia, Gwinnett County is listed under Section 203, and it requires that election officials only provide language assistance in Spanish and English, which is problematic. A lot of folks say because the county has a growing Asian American community. Well, joining me now to talk more about this is LaVita Tuff. She's a policy director for Asians Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. Thank you so much for taking the time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me today. Let's begin by dissecting what Section 203 of the Voting Rights Act actually says as it relates to voting and language access. I think it's important for people to know what it exactly says. There's a lot to it, and we can go over some of it. But through your lens, if you can, just tell our listeners what it covers. Right. So high level in 1975, Congress amended the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to add the addition of Section 203. Mm -hmm. And the reason that Section 203 was added was because they saw there was a direct connection between limited English proficient voters and low voter turnout. So you had folks who were registering to vote but actually weren't turning out to vote. And so they decided to add Section 203 to provide language assistance to those language minority groups. 2006, they admitted this again, and here we are in 2021, and a population trigger is required for folks to get that language access. And I talked about those regions or jurisdictions, as we call them, that are covered under Section 203. Now, this says that this law covers those localities where there are more than 10,000 or over 5% of the total voting age citizens in a single political subdivision, which is usually a county or township, were members of a single language minority group and do not speak English very well, in a sense. Is that what we're talking about here in Gwinnett? Absolutely. So in Gwinnett, the population trigger only triggers for Spanish. And so with the most recent determinations, it falls short, especially for the Vietnamese community and also the Korean community. So if we're looking at that 10,000 eligible voters number, we literally were 3,629 people away from Gwinnett County being triggered to provide Vietnamese. And we were 4,575 away for Korean and Gwinnett County for the population trigger to take place. So you literally now have over really 8,000 voters who are left out because they didn't meet that 10,000 number. But obviously when we talk about the language, I mean, Spanish, Asian, Native American, and, and I, I believe here, I'm looking, if I'm looking at this right, Alaska Native, those are eligible in a sense. You just have to meet this criteria, this 10,000. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. You have to meet that population trigger. Through your lens, what has this has this then played out, you think, in folks not voting in Gwinnett of Asian American descent? So here's what I can tell you. Our organization has done a significant job at trying to provide LEP voters with the language assistance that they need in Gwinnett County. Because we know that Gwinnett County has such a large AAPI population, our organization has taken it upon ourselves to provide language assistance at the polls. Now, yes, we do have a state law that says that folks are, you know, entitled to, you know, showing up to the polls and having language assistance provided as long as it's not their employer, they sign off on the affidavit, all of that stuff. But there may or may not be someone at that polling location who can provide language assistance in any Asian language because it's not required. Mm -hmm. So our organization tries to fill that gap whereas the county can be proactive and address and fill that gap. Are you all able to address that? Y'all don't have a whole, I mean, I know you have some (laughs) folks, but you don't have a whole lot of, that's a big county. 
Gwinnett is a big county, you know, and so in our get out the vote program and our language assistance program isn't just limited to Gwinnett. We also do this work in First Life where we see there's a growing AA population. We do this work in DeKalb County, but DeKalb County was a little more uh, prone to want to provide voluntary resources in Spanish and Korean and take that first step. But no, we can't cover all of Gwinnett County. You're right, we can't be at every polling location. So at some point, Gwinnett County has to realize that Section 203 is not the ceiling, it's the floor. And they have to be proactive about protecting the voters in Gwinnett. And so you're saying the county could step in and do something without having just to rely on, well, it's not 10,000 people, this trigger that you were talking about. Have y'all had a conversation with county election officials? So we have. And so we've had several conversations with the Board of Commissioners. We've had conversations with members of the Board of Elections and presented for them. And the way that we know that this is possible is literally because during the 2020 general election, DeKalb County said, we do not have a federal mandate to provide language assistance, but we're going to voluntarily do it in Mm -hmm. Spanish and Korean. And they did that and they did that well. Then they did it again in the runoffs and most recently. So if DeKalb County can do it, having a smaller AAPI population, why is it that Gwinnett County can't do it? And so for us, it just, it seems like, and it feels like it's not a priority for members of the board of commissioners or the board of elections to prioritize providing Asian language. Well, what did they tell you, Ms. Tuff, when you all presented to them? You know, the number one excuse is what I will call it. The number one excuse that not just Gwinnett County, but a lot of counties across the world, not world, but country will say, because there are 5.78 LEP voters in our country, they will say, well, we can't provide language assistance in every single language. And if we do Vietnamese, then we have to do Korean, then we have to do Mandarin, we have to do all these languages. And our response to that is, well, if you take a data-driven approach and know what your population base is, then you won't have to do every single language there is that exists. Is that so you can what, just start with one. Is that what election officials said to you all? That is what the complaint was. That was what the concern was, was that they didn't want to have to do every single language because they felt as though if you do Vietnamese, now will the Korean community feel as though they weren't provided with the language assistance that they needed. And so they wanted to take their time to figure out the best way to do that but we are coming upon almost a year later and still haven't seen that. Was this unanimous throughout for all the members? Did you have any support either on the in the elections department or with the county commissioners? You know, we do have champions with the county commissioners. You know, we have folks like Commissioner Kirkland, um, and, and he's done a really great job of trying to voice the need of, you know, language assistance, not just with elections, but also with municipal services. So he's been, you know, a champion for us. We've also had some members of the Board of Elections who have tried to have meetings with, you know, other members to discuss why this is important. We've had folks do presentations and then have some backup when they do those presentations from some members. You know, I do believe that even Mr. Stephen Day is opening up to this idea um, and thought around providing language assistance. And so, you know, in February, they said they would consider it or March that they considered doing it. But we've reached out and tried to have conversations about what does that look like? Because you're saying that you're going to do it doesn't mean that you're going to do it right. And so we want to make sure that it's done and also done right. Did they mention that it was there was a cost involved, that perhaps that was an issue? So the concern is not so much cost as it is, we will we now have to do several languages across the county? And how are we going to successfully do this? What does that capacity look like? And I think, you know, I will applaud, you know, the chair of the 
Gwinnett County commissioners for saying, I want to do it right, but wanting to do it right doesn't mean you can drag your feet. And so I think that cost is the last concern. It's about one, how do we get it done right? And two, do we have to do every single language? Let's go back to go back to DeKalb for a moment. What did they do exactly? DeKalb acted quickly. So thanks so much to our champion there, Commissioner Larry Johnson, who we explained to him, here's the growing concern that we have in DeKalb County. And if we could provide, you know, sample ballots in Korean and in Spanish and just key voting information in Korean and Spanish on the website, is that possible? Because we know we can't have a real ballot in Spanish or Korean. And Commissioner Johnson said, I will fight for it to get it done. And they did it. And they had a really short runway. We're talking about this conversation happening in October. They had it by the general yeah, election. Yeah, we, we covered that. We actually covered that. So it, you're saying this is something, you're not asking them to change the entire ballot. You're at least nope. saying have information, whether in a sample ballot on a website, and folks can make their choices then, and then they, they can go into the booth and feel comfortable with, with making their choice because they, un, they understood it in their language. Absolutely. Providing key voting information would help out so many of those LEP voters because now they have a better understanding of what the process looks like because they have that information in language. So they're they're more comfortable to now go to polling locations and cast their vote. The Department of Justice actually has suggestions uh, for organizations and for counties and, and regions to to successfully successfully implement these changes. Have you all reached out to them since we're we're talking just thousands in terms of numbers, which can change, as you know, in, in a, a election cycle. Have you all reached out to them for assistance? Is there anything that they can do to put pressure on Gwinnett County election officials to to at least provide this information, sample ballots or on the website in different in other languages? So I think that folks are going to always continuously say there has to be a federal mandate. And so the census director is the person who makes this decision. He has the sole discretion to make this decision around what what jurisdictions are Section 203. He could also try to get this amended to lower the threshold. But the DOJ can't do anything except for have stronger implementation of it because we do know that there are Section 203 jurisdictions like Gwinnett who sometimes fall short on even providing information in Spanish as they're federally mandated to do so. And so the Department of Justice taking a stronger role in holding those counties and jurisdictions accountable. The voice you hear is LaVita Tuff. She's a policy director for Asians Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. And we're talking about in Gwinnett County an effort to make sure that at least some of the sample ballots or the website language is in other languages. For our listeners who just may be tuning in, we're, we're focusing on the Asian American community. But what specific languages here, Ms. Tuff? So we would like to see at least, at minimum, Vietnamese and Korean, at minimum. Do you all have any champions in the state legislature? Of course, the Representative Wynn, who, you know, she did introduce a bill after the tragic incident that occurred um, in March, where she's calling for language access for 9-11 and emergency services. So we do have, you know, some champions at the state legislature, Representative Sam Park, who even support us in Gwinnett County, because of course he covers Gwinnett County mm-hmm. and trying to get this done. And he's been influential, I do believe, with some members of the Board of Commissioners and has definitely had our back, you know, every step of the way. Have you all, do you know if there have been other regions around the country that have had this, been in the same, I guess, sort of dilemma that you all have been in terms of not being able to reach that trigger mark that you mentioned that we're able to successfully get something done? Or does it go back to, well, yeah, it's at the will of 
election officials in that region? It literally is at the will of the election officials in that region. And the problem is, is that there are other places where the population is over 7,500, but not quite 10,000. And some of those places have been like Sacramento County, where that's what takes place for Chinese. Los Angeles County, that's what takes place for Cambodian. So you're talking about major cities where it doesn't quite meet the threshold, but it's almost there. Meanwhile, what will you all then try to strengthen or, or, you know, to help folks? You know, we've got primaries coming up not too far away here. Yeah, we do. And so, you know, we've tried to have conversations with members of Congress because what we do know is, is that the federal voting legislation doesn't prioritize language access. And so if we're going to talk about protecting our democracy, if we're going to talk about voting rights, then we have to have the conversation about all voters. We're not just talking Black voters and white voters and Latinx voters. We're also talking about AAPI voters. And so the same folks who AAPI voters elected, who, you know, they came to the AAPI community and said, I want your vote. I'm going to, you know, create a pathway to citizenship. I'm going to ensure that there's language access for elections. It's now time for those elected officials to step up and fight for that. So we need folks like Senator Warnock, who's giving very passionate speeches, to make language access a part of those speeches. And we've talked to his staff about that. But don't just talk to us when it's an election. Talk to us when it's not one. I want to play a clip here because uh, one of our producers found this. It's from a package uh, from Voice of America, a D.C.-based international news outlet where Judy Chu is the first Chinese-American woman elected into Congress. And here she's talking about the barriers that many Asian-Americans face when it comes to understanding the voting process in the U.S. We are a population where many may not be familiar with the uh, the American uh, means of democracy. It takes a little while to get used to it, to know that your voice counts. And especially if you come from countries where there aren't real free and fair elections or maybe where there are no elections at all. Do you think folks then maybe now understand why also it's more important to or equally as important to have these these languages provided? I think that the AAPI community because of the voter turnout in the general election and the runoffs, they realized that the API community was critical to the United States elections, not just in Georgia, but around the country. And so people are beginning to take notice, but that notice isn't significant enough for folks to demand that there's language access for additional languages. So it really is kind of like, okay, well, we, we see that they were important voters. We see that they, you know, there was an increase, significant increase. Um, API voters, but we're not going to demand now because of that increase that there be additional languages. That has not correlated. And and when you hear Judy Chu talk about the fact that I also understand for some folks, too, who are coming from areas from around the globe where, you know, their voice was not, their vote did not count, was not even counted or wasn't even allowed to be counted. And I'm wondering if that message also, if you all are reiterating that message, to election officials as well. That's just equally important for a nation where we talk about how important democracy is. And of course, tomorrow is one year to when democracy was attacked. So, Yeah, I, you know, for us, we have had to play, again, a really strong role in making sure that we're educating our community members. And so in places where the counties have not stepped up to provide this information, to have cultural awareness around how to break down what the electoral process means, 
in America in language for people who are Vietnamese and Korean and Chinese, um, we've had to step in and fill up the gap. And so for us, the work that we have done to educate members of the API community directly translated into over 45,000 first time voters in the 2020 general election from the API community. We'll continue to do that work. But if we had the support of Gwinnett County, it would be a lot easier. That's what you're saying. A lot easier. 45,000 in 2020. 45,000 first-time voters, AAPI voters, in the 2020 general election. Well, as we begin to wrap up, uh, and obviously we know what a big election year this is in 2022, then you all, how optimistic are you then that you will get something done? Or is it back to rolling up the sleeves and doing the work that you feel Gwinnett County should be doing? You know, I think that under the leadership of our executive director, Fee Wynn, um, who has been a very critical component of making sure that we protect the AAPI community and voters, we're going to continue to fight until we get it. And if we don't get it, we're not going to use that as an excuse to not stand in the gap. We would love some support and help from Gwinnett and Forsyth and, you know, for DeKalb to continue. But if we don't, we will never leave them by themselves. What are the other priorities are for you or for your organization this year as well? You know, as we head into the legislative session, we definitely want to push back on any of those anti-immigrant bills. We've seen the Secretary of State come out and hold press conferences with this myth of illegal aliens voting. And there were only four cases of that and they were all settled. So we want to push back on this this myth, these conspiracy theories around illegal aliens voting in our elections. Um, and also we want to push for there to be a freedom and driver's licenses to make sure that folks in communities of color can access an actual driver's license. So those are two of our biggest um, you know, priorities and also tuition equity, making sure that undocumented students are able to be listed as in-state students to get tuition. How would you assess how you all have been able to meet some of your other initiatives? Because we've been in a pandemic now for two years. You know, it's been really difficult. I think that because of the way the legislature was this last session and what we know we're going to go into this legislative session, that voting rights have taken the front you know, the front seat as other things have taken the back seat, but those back seat things aren't less important to us just because voting rights are critical. And so we're going to continue to try to amplify the concerns around those things, especially making sure that tuition equity is more inclusive, especially making sure we're fighting against those bills like demarcation on identification. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep pushing back on those things just as hard as we would for voting rights legislation. Levita Tuff, Policy Director for Asians Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Keep us posted on the conversation, I guess, with Gwinnett County election officials and your commissioners. And... <laughs> I will. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Take care. And you're listening to Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE right here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Rose Scott. Next week is the start of Georgia's General Assembly, of course, the 2022 legislative session. Now, you can expect that uh, the issue of allowing communities to vote on becoming cities could be a focus for a lot of state lawmakers. Now, we've talked about cityhood movement a lot on this program, including the proposed cities of East Cobb and Buckhead. And I recently spoke with Dr. Catherine Rice, who serves as a coordinator for the DeKalb 
DeKalb Cityhood Movement, formerly known as the Proposed City of Greenhaven. Now, when we spoke, Dr. Rice talked about her group's renewed push to make Southern DeKalb into its own city. With the county, it's not the size so much as it is the differences, the um, way that the North may be different from the South. And in the case of DeKalb, we now have a disparity between the North and the South, and it's been growing wider, not uh, less than. What's that disparity? Define that. Disparity is difference in in opportunity and what you actually have. Mm -hmm. So in DeKalb County, we have a disparity in terms most visibly in economic development. We've had people from Japan come to visit us to look at what's happening, why we're trying to form a city. And we drive them to Southern DeKalb and to Northern DeKalb. And the difference is just very stark. The largest building that we have right now still in DeKalb is our jail, whereas that doesn't even compare to the number of and size of buildings that they have, for example, in northern DeKalb. It shouldn't be that way. Now, not everyone agrees with the DeKalb cityhood movement. Claudette Leake is with the group Concerned Citizens in Opposition to Greenhaven and joins me now. Uh, Welcome to the program, Ms. Leake. Happy New Year. Well, the same to you. And thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak with you today. All right. Now, let me ask you this. Um, How long have you lived in in DeKalb County? I've lived in DeKalb County for over 50 years. Yeah. Tell me about your neighborhood, your community. How would you describe it to someone? Um, It's a good neighborhood. Uh, As uh, the demographics in the county are changing, it's an older community community. but people care and are very engaged in the quality of life around them. Mm -hmm. And so you have, even though they may be seniors, one of the good things about seniors is that they are retired and have more time to devote. They don't have to worry about getting kids to events, uh, those kinds of things. So it is a peaceful community and we want to keep it that way. So we have a lot of involvement. If I had to describe it, I'd say we have a very active and involved senior community. And this is, you don't have to tell me what street you live on, but we're talking about in a southern, south DeKalb, right? What what areas? Yes. Yes. For our listeners, give them some, you know, areas here, neighborhoods. Uh, Well, you have um, Belvedere. Mm -hmm. You have um, Columbia Valley. You have Spring Valley. this uh, proposal for cityhood actually covers 126 square miles of unincorporated DeKalb yeah. County. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, I don't know what happened to it, but I had a map <laughs> behind me. For some reason, it's not showing up. I see your map. But, I see your little map. <laughs> okay. To give you the scope of what we're talking about. So it encompasses Panthersville. One of the things that we have uh, been very diligent about is identify, making sure we identify who would be affected by any cityhood initiative. Let me ask you this then, Ms. Leek. Are you, this is through your lens, and you can also talk about what your neighbors say. Are you all pretty satisfied with the services the Cap County is providing for you all? Are there any issues you have, whether it be with zoning or, you know, collection, pick up anything? There's nothing that's perfect. But our position on this is that the, the county government for an incorporate, unincorporated residence is the best entity to provide the services that we need. We don't uh, need a, another city 
to create another layer of government between us and our elected officials. You heard, I hope, the clip that we played from Dr. Catherine Rice, but she's saying that the bulk of this for them, it's about economic development. You heard what she said. I can play it again if you'd like. Um, no, I heard it. Okay, what, what do you think? What's your response to what she said, that well, there's a disparity here? Yeah, I, my response to that is, have you heard of Perimeter Mall? See, one of the issues is the commercial base that allows uh, the cities like Dunwoody and Brookhaven uh, to be have a disparity. But those uh, areas of economic commercial base have been in place for years. And so the disparity is that you had a strong commercial base. Right now, uh, or based on the feasibility study from the proponents mm -hmm. of uh, the cityhood movement, only 3% of the property parcels in South DeKalb are commercial and 95%, and I'll say commercial and industrial, 95% uh, of the parcels are residential properties. Mm -hmm. Now, what that says to us is that uh, the that there's no base right now or today that will change the fact that there is not any economic development. There, the county has an economic development department, and last I checked, they had a, a multi-year plan and targeted events. One of the challenges that we've had with those uh, proposing cityhood is that we've never seen, the public has never seen any document that tells us what their plan involves. It just says, we're going to have economic development. But in terms of presenting that to the community for their absorption and to ask questions, we've never seen it. So and saying, I've been in, no, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, my apologies, go ahead, finish. Um, so that, that's one of the things and it speaks to the whole issue surrounding this cityhood effort is the lack of public information or the education, I shall say, of our general public. If you educate people, they can make up their own minds about what they want to do if they have the correct and factual information. So you're saying perhaps if this group that is proposing the, the city of DeKalb, if they would provide you all with more information, you all could at least consider it. Uh, what are your neighbors and uh, is what are people saying about this? Are they... Well, believe it or not, uh, this uh, movement started in 2014 right. with a study from Georgia uh, State University called Vincent Institute. And their first legislation was in 2015. We're now in 2022, and we constantly, not just me, but uh, others that are involved in opposing this effort, run into people who have no clue. We had a little uh, button that we uh, created and it was a white background, red circle, line through it saying no to Greenhaven. And we could walk around the grocery store, drug anywhere in our community and people would stop and ask, what is Greenhaven? Mm -hmm. And they're still doing it in 2022. So what? that's one of our goals was to, ed we want an educated, public. Um, the proponents say, you need the right to vote. What are you voting on? They have, uh, I, I'd like to make a distinction here about 
two things. Sure. One is the proponents will tell you a lot about their feasibility study. It is seven years old. And so I ask people the question, if you were going to make an investment and your broker gave you seven-year-old data, and since that data was created, there's a pandemic, which has upset everything in everybody's life. Would you use that data to make a decision on what you invest in? And that's where we are with the feasibility study. It is not part of what the General Assembly will vote on. Mm -hmm. What will be voted on is a charter. And the charter for any new city is basically the law. So what's in the charter dictates how the cities function. We can look at cities like South Fulton or sure. Stonecrest and see that they and their leadership has ended up in courts. And it's because of what was in the charter and somebody has a different viewpoint of it. The charter is the law, not the feasibility study. So you want to focus more than also on folks understanding beyond just, oh, we want a city, what the possible or potential repercussions or or how the city would even be governed is what you're saying. Correct. In fact, uh, you know, our organization had uh, three real uh, objectives. One, the very first one was to educate the public. We want people informed. And if we're still seven years later having people not know that there's this movement afloat, there's a gap there that needs to be Have you filled. talked to Dr. Rice? Have you ever had a conversation yes. with Dr. Rice? And we've not a long extended one. And to be uh, quite frank, we are... Um, We've had conversations. I have attended any of their public meetings, uh, and we've had a couple of conversations afterwards. Um, they've attended some of our public meetings uh, where they're uh, the other proponents for the cityhood effort. I have no problem talking to Dr. Rice. I want to deal in facts. We, uh, if you, everything, if you go to our website, everything is sourced. Mm -hmm. It either came from the secretary of state, finance committees or wherever, uh, but we source our information and we make it available to the public. We don't copyright it as the proponents of cityhood do. They copyright everything. Well, so we want to educate the public. So through, through your so, lens, you're saying they're, they're copyrighting. You, you... Yes. The voice you hear is Claudette Leake. She's with the group Concerned Citizens in Opposition to Greenhaven, which is obviously the Greenhaven is just the same for the DeKalb cityhood movement. What do you make of all these cityhood movements uh, that are happening, not just in DeKalb, but, you know, in Cobb County? And, of course, you have Buckhead appearing in, in, in Atlanta. What do you make of that, Miss Leake? You've been in, in your community for 50 years. What would you say to someone who says, well, can you understand if, if there is a large percentage of folks that feel like, that their community is not being served and, and perhaps they can do a better job as their own city. Should they not have the right to, to at least put that to a vote? What's your response to that? Well, it's not the right or lack of right to vote mm -hmm. that we question is people, if you haven't seen what the law is going to say about how it will impact you, you don't know what you're voting on. You're, you're just uh, doing a blind 
vote. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, it's a matter of making sure that the public is educated. DeKalb County government, no government is perfect. And there are things that you asked a question earlier um, <clears throat> of the, uh, about our position on this whole issue. The government needs to have improvement. And the energy that we as citizens, taxpayers have spent in opposing or trying to prevent the creation of this city um, could have been better spent working more diligently with the county to correct and improve those areas that, we, that need improving. A city will not change the demographics. Mm -hmm. See, what the, the cityhood proponents are, are looking at is unincorporated DeKalb County. Today, if this law were passed, um, it would become the city of DeKalb. That's, that's an interesting name um, that we have here, just like the previous one. Um, but the um, city of, <clears throat> excuse me, any city needs to be well uh, thought of, mm -hmm. thought out, and work with the government. There are people who will tell you, I've run into people who say, yeah, I think cityhood is a great thing, but they don't, they've never read the charter. They don't know that, uh, you know, in that charter, uh, there's a, a, the proponents have what they call um, community planning units that they compare to the MPUs, MPUs of Atlanta. in Atlanta. Okay, we've done our work homework, and there's no comparison. Uh, these in the charter, which would be the law, and I do want to keep emphasizing that issue. Their charter talks about another layer of bureaucracy for economic development. Not only that, the red flag is they will allow donations to, a, to groups or entities that are going to be responsible for assessing economic development. Ah, I see where you're going now, Ms. Leek. So, <laughs> you're concerned about perhaps, I don't know, some big box store coming in, giving a donation to said community, if you all... <laughs> <laughs> well, we all want to think the best of everything and everybody, but just look, all you have to do is. And that was just an example. I'm not, I wasn't yeah, picking on anybody. No, I hear what you're saying. No. But it's, it's uh, look at the news around us. And usually it involves contracts or uh, related to purchasing or whatever that get the officials in trouble. And so that's just one example, but it puts another layer. I can go to my commissioner, and then the thing that needs to happen is at the state level. Sure. And I'll tell you why. This, the, the law of Georgia that governs creating cities, I tell people that my neighborhood, my subdivision, based on those guidelines, could become a city. It's a minimum of 200 residents. Uh, you have to specify a minimum of three services. So we're asking uh, the community in DeKalb County to look at a, a city of $295,000, I mean, 295,000 people mm -hmm. and three services. 
how do you get the, the DeKalb County offers 43 services. So where do the other services that uh, the citizens are getting today, mm -hmm. how do they get those? There's no police, no fire, no emergency. And it was not in the, the any operational cost was not included in their feasibility study for those services. So let me ask you this. I think I may know the answer to this. So are you open to any negotiating about a proposed <laughs> cityhood, new city, or are you just against like, nope, not going to happen, don't want it? No, because the answer and the solution is at the Georgia General Assembly, and that's changing the code on how cities are created. Uh, if there's a difference between if, if an area wanted to be annexed, there's a true outlined process in the Georgia law mm -hmm. that says how you do that. And one of the most important things to us is that they get the, the affected people's input. Mm. Uh, up front, you don't have that with these cities. It's just some group decides that they want to uh, create a city and they just get somebody to sponsor it. Well, then I guess I think I know the answer is too. Then you're not very optimistic that this will even make any movement in the General Assembly, this legislative session. I, we are going to do everything we can to prevent it. And uh, what does that mean? What, what that means is we deal with the people, the decision makers. You know, if you have a problem, you go to the decision maker for a resolution. We're looking for a resolution and we think a solution to the cityhood issue is changing the code of Georgia so that a city of 200 people has, uh, would not have to um, provide, or a city of 200,000 people mm -hmm. would not provide the minimal services that a city of 200 would. The and there needs to be a formalized process. And as I said, there's nothing in the law that says, you know, you have to have a feasibility study, but they were, the proponents rely on the information in that and we take exception to it. So based on your question, we're not in favor of creating a city in unincorporated DeKalb. Our position right. is that and this is not just living limited to the southern part either, because we've um, been collaborating with other opposition groups. Gotcha. That that also look at Vista Grove, which would be a new city. Ah, uh, I've, I've heard about it. Claude Edleek yeah. is with the group Concerned Citizens in Opposition to Greenhaven, but Greenhaven also is the DeKalb Cityhood Movement, just a different name. Miss Leek, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it representing your community. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me, and we appreciate the opportunity. All right, now. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel are our producers. Daniel today told me he made some pickle soup. It's never a dull moment with producer Daniel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. Reminder to let me know your thoughts on today's program or any other an email. Rose at WABE.org. And of course, you can find all of our programs online at WABE.org slash Closer Look or in our podcast. Subscribe wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's Choice NPR. I'm Rose Scott.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.